Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to All Stats, aren't we? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie. The ball ricocheting off the post onto the keeper and then back into the goal of the podcast. You couldn't write this. And I'm joined by the disallowed Bamford goal of the podcast, Joe Hill. This is becoming something of a habit. And finally, the Connor Cody injury from a header of the podcast, the time-wasting SOB. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you? Before I uh, answer that question, I'm just going to get the physio on to uh, have a look at this head injury that I've just picked up, uh, getting set up. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, mate. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, interesting rewatch of the game this morning. It, it, it felt quite different rewatching it back. It was even more boring than I imagined it was the first time. <laughs> Joe Hill, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I, I, I agree with Darren. It's it's a bit of a robbery, really, isn't it? That Wolves managed to beat us twice, one nil, in almost exactly the same way with a sort of lucky deflected goal. Um, so I'm just quite happy that we don't have to watch Wolves again this season. Absolutely. No, I'm with you on that one. At this point in the podcast, I usually ask, "How did it feel?" Um, we'll go with DJ. We've already admitted to the extreme ennui of the whole situation but how did the game feel overall to you it just felt quite disappointing really um I think maybe it's one of the things that I've taken for granted watching Bielsa football the last two or three years but um it really puts it into perspective when you see a team time wasting so much um just the last 20 minutes I feel like Wolves just totally killed the game and obviously that's done in a professional way from a Wolves point of view um that was what they were trying to do and they executed it well but it's just so frustrating to watch a team just play it in the corner and just like you say faking injuries and oh it's just really really horrible to watch and it, it kind of made me realize how lucky I am that Bielsa's team just don't really do that on the whole almost ever um 
so it was it was just quite frustrating really I think maybe you know obviously we we probably deserve to win but I would have taken a draw and just been a bit frustrated by it but to lose is sort of a, a, an even more ki- uh, uh, an even greater kick in the teeth <laughs> Darren what have you got to add to that yeah much the same really it, it felt in in some ways a lot like some of our championship games and in, in that we were we were dominating territory we were dominating the ball we looked quite good up to a point but but weren't ever i mean although you know we created some chances and we and we got good xg from our set pieces and stuff that that in open play we weren't really able to cause them as as much damage as as we as we usually able to so yeah it just it just it just felt like a really kind of attritional quite dull game and it wasn't for lack of effort on our part i thought i thought we, we you know we tried to do the things that we always do and 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 really tried to kind of carve them up but but they just kind of kind of really went didn't seem to be there for carving as such so um i think i think ennui is is a really is is absolutely the right word to use yeah Thierry Henry, that's who I was. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get on to the questions. Um, obviously, this week we are going to be doing a review of the of the game on Friday against Wolves, and then we'll be previewing the game on Tuesday against Southampton, so we've got a lot to get through. So, again, thank you for all your questions. Again, we had too many to fit them all in, so do bear with us. Um, just a, a general question to start with from Mike Turetsky about flexibility. He says, are we seeing Bielsa's more flexible side? Melier seemed to be clearing it long, and the rigid uh, d- defensive central midfield position was a merry-go-round. Um, who, do, who wants to go first on this? Joe, what's your thoughts on this? Was this a little bit more flexible from Bielsa? Yeah, I think it was. Um, I can't really remember the last time that we didn't have a a DM in a game. Um, someone might someone might prove me wrong, but I, I feel like it was the first time we didn't didn't really have an out and out DM. Um, we pretty much played in a four four two, and it was quite it was quite nice to watch. Actually, it's quite nice to see something different. I think I said this in the previous podcast where we've pretty much done enough to be safe. I know there's a few people worrying on Twitter, but um, you know most people can see that we're we'll be safe. Um, so at this stage of the season, I don't really mind seeing something different. So it was quite nice to see um, some more flexibility, and especially because uh, the classic narrative has been that um, for Bielsa, if Plan A doesn't work, then he'll just do Plan A better. But um, I think we're starting to see hints of Plan B, um, and it's quite exciting. I can see what Mike's getting at, but I kind of don't really. I've never really bought into the idea that that Bielsa is inherently inflexible because over the course of the season we've seen the four one four one regularly. We've seen the the three three one three a couple of times. We've also seen four four two a couple of times. We've also seen three five two at least once, and then we also saw whatever it was we did at Everton away where we seemed to play with with hybrid different formations down each side of the team. So I kind I kind of yeah it. it 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 does show Bielsa's flexibility, but for me, it kind of reinforces Bielsa's flexibility rather than shows something that we haven't seen before. Um, and and I think that that we've quite often um, tried to play long passes um, into you know into the into the wing areas and into the channels at times this season to, with varying degrees of success. So yeah, we we did, I think we did go a bit a bit longer at times, uh, particularly in the first half on Friday. But but again, I I don't necessarily see that as been something that's that's particularly new. I think there was probably more attention on what Melier did in in possession because of what happened against Arsenal, and maybe he maybe he played the percentages a little bit more than he ordinarily would. And I think there's you know there's some merit in that as a decision, but. Um, yeah, so overall, I kind of, I kind of, yeah, see what Mike's getting at, but I, I sort of saw it slightly differently, really. 
part of the reason why this feels so different is because it's one of the few times where we've played without Calvin Phillips against a midfield two, like that's clearly just a midfield two. And this is probably a controversial opinion, but I think we actually play better or we potentially would play better. I think we did on Friday when we have two out and out eights in that situation because you you're you're you've got your two eights in a, in further up the field which is where you want them to be and then in the build-up you just have one or other of them dropping in depending on which side of the of the pitch we're building up on so I don't think this is necessarily more flexible I just think it's something that's allowed because I, I think normally if if Bielsa has Phillips available he's always going to play him and so you end up with a guy who's probably better in a sort of rigid d- dm position um, than than someone like um, someone like Shackleton, who you know is actually going to do a lot more of the of the work further forward um, that you you would want the, the midfielder to do. So um, I wonder whether or not it's simply Bielsa's hand has hasn't been played in quite the same way that it normally would. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's there there is a I can see that a midfield two which contains Phillips plus one other. Um, might might have struggled a bit more in, in possession in, in that game than than we did. Um, I think that's a really fair point. I, I've not really considered it like that before. I think also if you look back to the Villa game where where Pascal Strout was was hooked quite pretty early, I think a lot of that came down to the fact that Bielsa realised that he didn't need a defensive player in that role. Um, there was space there that wasn't being exploited because Villa go down the left hand their left hand side through Jack Grealish all the time. I suspect he probably felt that was a bit of a wasted position, and so I think probably bringing off Strout was again a response to that, so that you can have you can have then two classic eights going going uh, up against two I guess more classic eights for them as well yeah and I guess I guess that was the that was the analogy that that when Joe was speaking earlier and saying that we've not really seen this before and I could only really think of Villa away when we switched to, to this sort of possession it's this sort of formation after about 20 minutes um and, and that was the only other time I think we've seen it well, let's move on to talk about the DM position because Tom Alderson had uh, had a well. We had two questions. Let's start with Perry Piper. Perry Piper said, "Did we play with three eights? Shackleton is basically the polar opposite of Calvin, but something seemed to be working. We've we've already touched on that, but I mean, we played with two eights, I yeah. think, and then and then a, stri- a a dropped striker. I'd describe it as probably more of a four four one one. But let's talk about Alderson's question because he said, "I think we've struggled without a CDM tonight to build up and getting caught in transition. How do we solve this when we have to play four four two to counter the?" Three four three. Would it be a tactical change or a new signing in the summer or both? Um, Joe Hill, we'll go to you on this. How did you feel about the build-up play? Did you think that we did struggle with that defensive midfielder? Yeah, I think it was it was different for us. Obviously, like we say, we've only done this once before. Um, like Darren says in the Villa game, um, so it is something relatively new for us. I, I actually thought we were okay. Um, I know I have a bit of bias towards Shackleton because he's he's one of my favorite players but um I thought he was pretty good I thought Dallas was good Dallas was looking to sometimes um drop into that position from the left back area which um I thought was quite an interesting dynamic um and then I thought Click was okay as well so I think I think Tom's right to say we struggled because it it was unusual for us and it was it was something different but going forward I wouldn't have a problem with seeing this again um Although Tom is also right to say that um, a new summer signing um, would, of course, help the situation. And I think everyone knows that um, we're looking for a central midfielder in the summer. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But in general, I, I thought it was OK. And in terms of a learning curve, um, 
I think it's something that we can potentially build on um, and they can just work on in training and hopefully show that they can do it even better next time it's necessary. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was fine. I, I Again, so much of this comes down to the fact that we will match up a player for player in uh, off-ball positions. So I just kind of think if you're in a situation where you're going to be playing against two central midfielders who are going to be a little bit slower and sit a little bit deeper as Neves and Moutinho are, then there's no point having a defensive midfielder because you're you're simply you're simply going to be covering a space that isn't there. Your defensive midfielder will be pushing up into forward areas all the time. Um, but I'm conscious of of time, so let's let's move on. Um, focus on Leeds um, had a question for us about the use of the spare man in doubling up on Adama. Uh, he said it. Th- I thought it worked quite well. Uh, Darren, talk us through this because. Um, it, I mean, the the forward position of Adama was quite interesting, anyway, right? Because with William Jose was nominally the striker, but often those two would rotate Adama from the left coming inside, and and William Jose moving out to the uh, the left hand side. Um, what what's your thoughts on the on the liberoing that we saw yesterday? Yeah, I thought it was really good, and I thought that the goal was really illustra- illustrative of how it worked. Although it did it did kind of result in in a goal, which is just one of those things, isn't it? Whereby I think I think you know when when Traore was was coming in from the left, I think Ailing was tracking him, you know, really well to the point at which he could no longer do that. And then and then I thought Strauch uh, was really really kind of proactive in terms of stepping up and making sure that making sure that that Triori really had nowhere to go or they had to go laterally across the pitch and I, I thought that that worked really effectively all night and I, I, I thought it worked really really effectively at, at that moment when Triori got the shot away for the, for the unfortunate goal it's just one of those things that happens isn't it sometimes but but um yeah I, th- I thought we I thought we managed him particularly very well because as he is somebody who who always concerns me because because of his ability to to run directly and 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 beat players and that that as we know is something that's caused us problems in the past but but I felt that I felt that we used the 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 libero the partial libero um really really well to make sure that we managed him um and I think it's a bit easier when it's a forward player that you're worried about in that way because because you can then always task the partial libero with with making sure that you know Robin Cox really good at that isn't he and and, and Strauch's really good at it as well where where you know that there's a chance that your fullback's going to get beaten so you position yourself in such a way that 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 if that does happen that you're going to be able to minimize the danger so yeah thought that was really good Let's move on to talk about why build up in wide spaces because I think the big criticism was that we didn't actually create enough in wide areas. Um, obviously, the majority of our expected goal value came from set pieces, which is I think fine. I'd rather we did that than than nothing. And if you're struggling to break down a team at that sit deep, then the best way of getting at them is to get at them through set pieces. So I have no problem with that. But we did have a few questions about these these wide spaces. Actually, watching the game back, I didn't think we were the worst. I think maybe Jack Harrison was a bit wasteful at times. We got into some, into some nice positions that that he really didn't capitalise on. Uh, same old problems of you know not maintaining possession. I think we looked really flaky in possession in the final third. Um, but other than that, I didn't think it was the worst thing. But here's a couple of questions we had. Uh, Daniel Moroni says, with the caveat that we did create enough chances to win and the breaking down a low block is tough, could we have created more by working the left-right inside channels? I feel like, I felt like their back three weren't massively mobile 
and it also may have helped to isolate Bamford against Cody. Um, and then Jacob Stambridge says, Harrison struggled again versus a deeper block. Going forward, when we have a left-back who we were all happy to play and can offer the crossing outlet, is a different profile of player better suited to play on the wing in these games? Um, so there we have a couple of questions. Um, let's go with you, Darren, on this one first. What's your whole take on the on the wide area build-up problems? I think Wolves obviously know that that we do the majority of our our attacking down down the sides, and I just I just feel like they kind of made sure that when we were in advanced spaces that that they had their kind of their um, their centre back from that side come over and 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 make sure that they kind of doubled. And I thought I thought they managed they managed it really effectively. I thought so. Yeah, I think there's there is some truth in that we um, lost possession in 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 build up in, in advanced areas, and I think part of that was to do with um, I think Aileen wasn't as adventurous, particularly in the first half, as as he normally is, and I think that was partly to do with making sure that we didn't give Triori ads a space to run into. Similarly, on the other side, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think Dallas got involved in in build up as much as as much as you might normally expect, and I think again that was to do with Pedro Neto being quite dangerous and and causing us some damage. So I think it was I think it was partly because we weren't able to get the sort of numbers and and the sort of overloads in those areas that we're that we're normally able to do. Um, but also, I think you're right. There were a couple of occasions and I can think of a couple of occasions early in the second half where where we kind of managed to break their press such as it was and and we had good chances to break down the left hand side and and both both uh, Harrison and Tyler Roberts lost control of the ball and and it went out into touch or maybe maybe I'm a bit, been a bit harsh on Roberts on, on that one but but certainly there were opportunities for us to spring down that side which we weren't able to take through through whatever combination of slightly sloppy play so I think there is some truth in what they're saying but I also do think there were tactical reasons for it and Joe, how would you go about answering Jacob's question that, you know, if, if we have a, a better left back um, who is, is going to offer more of a crossing outlet to the ones that we've had in this season, uh, do you think that will actually help us out in these sorts of games? Yeah, of course. And thinking about it now, it's a bit strange that we have four wingers um, in Costa, Paveda, Rafinha and Harrison, and they're all left footed. Um, that's quite unusual. I'm not sure that many other teams have that that kind of setup. Um, so obviously, if we have a, a left back that's getting forward, that's putting crosses in the box, that's playing in really advanced areas, then maybe you're looking for the left winger to be right-footed, um, so they can cut inside and I don't know. Just just thinking about it now, do what Raheem Sterling does. I'm not saying we're going to get Sterling or anyone um, as good as Sterling, um, but that that kind of role where he can sort of cut inside, play a couple of one twos. Um, and get a shot away from the edge of the box or put in a, a nice in-swinging cross. Um, so I think it will be quite different in the summer. If we do end up signing a left-footed left-back, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Harrison still fits in this team because my, yeah, my initial feeling is that he, he could be one of the first to drop out if, if we sign a, a right-footed winger. It's interesting to see how important the left-back has become in world football recently. As For example, Luca Dina is someone that we've talked about a lot, but his ability to get forward and put crosses into the box has been a real, a really important vector on the pitch for for um, for Everton this season. And I think, you know, if we could get a similar player who who is able to have space created in front of him by a build-up in those wide areas and, and whip balls in, I think we'll start looking a lot more dangerous as well. Um, speaking of whipping balls into the box and looking dangerous, so let's talk a little bit about set pieces. Um, Simon says, how wonderful is it that we're actually running set piece routines and have a great delivery from RAF? And Neil Maltby said, set piece is looking really good at both ends now. Is it Rafinha delivery or Strauch edition or both? Um, 
who wants to go with this one? Um, let's go with you, Darren. What do you make of the set piece situation? Yeah, I, th- I think we we do look massively more dangerous, and I think I think I noticed a couple of things. I, I think Rafinha's delivery is obviously an important part of it because it, his his dead ball delivery is is by and large excellent. <clears throat> I think we I think we're running a, a decent variety on the on the on the sorts of set pieces that we're trying to do. So we're not trying to take the same corner every time, and I think that creates a little bit of doubt in the mind of of the opposition. Also, obviously, Strauch is is now somebody who oppositions are going to highlight as has been a danger so they're going to make sure that he's marked by their best header of the ball and that means that 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 what happened on Friday is going to happen more often and that that we're going to get other people free and 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 Liam Cooper been you know a, a good header of the ball and decent at attacking attacking set pieces um I think I think that that kind of combines as well so that so that we're able to make sure that that we do have you know multiple threats whereas before largely before Strout came into the team it would it would be Cooper that would be the target of more or less all of our set pieces and I think that when when you've only got one I think it's quite easy to to sort of uh, to manage so I I, I agree I think we we are looking increasingly good at both ends and and we're going to need to be uh on Tuesday (laughs) I think with Rafinha, you know, there's a very common trope in sort of fan discussion that when when you hit the man at the front post, it's a terrible thing. Um, but in professional football, the point is is that you you cannot simply loop a ball into the box and expect anything other than the opposition centre back to clear it out. And so, the, in taking in taking set pieces, the the trick is to try and get as much whip on as you can get it into that if, if you can get it through the front post then you're going to have it going across the whole box you're in- increasing your chance of having someone head it in and I think Rafinha's delivery is so good because it is so flat um, and and that makes a huge difference to compared to I think Calvin who maybe has a little bit more shape on his um, on his on his um, his set piece delivery and I think sometimes that means if he tries to go for the for the front post it can it can kind of dip in a little bit too much and and it's too too easy to clear but I definitely think that's made a huge difference and like you say the the ability to have um different options who look dangerous in the box just suddenly makes your your um set piece your attacking set pieces look four or five times more dangerous so it's certainly made a big difference uh Joe have you got anything you wanted to add on the set pieces no, just just to echo what you guys said. Really, I think it's a combination of of all the things um, that you've mentioned and that Neil mentioned. Um, Rafinha's deliveries were unbelievable, and I think we were really unlucky because Cooper's three big chances were all straight at the keeper, and from from that range, from Cooper's range, when you're you know eight yards out, six yards out, even if you just go one or two feet either side of the keeper, then it's a goal. It doesn't even have to be in the corner. Um, and I think it was just really unlucky that he had three that were directly <laughs> at the keeper. Um, so if we carry on in that vein, then it's only surely only a matter of time before Cooper starts bagging a couple more, and so does Strauch. I mean, even then, the re- the reflexes of their keeper on the on the one just before they scored were, were pretty incredible. You know, it, it there was no, it wasn't by any means uh, a foregone conclusion that he was going to save that, or that he was going to get it into a relatively safe safe space. So I think you've got to give him some credit on that one as well. And I think of the three the three big headers that people are talking about, only the middle one was the was the one which was quote unquote like easier to direct. I think the first one was coming across him, and he's literally just trying to flick it to get it towards the goal. And I think he did a good job of that. It's just unlucky that it ends up going near the keeper. You know, um, I think I think it's a little bit incongruous for people to expect that in that moment, you know, 
Liam Cooper stands there and has a sort of outside of the body experience thinking, right, where am I going to put this ball now? I'll put it to the keeper's left or right. It's very much just a case of, right, I've got to try and d- d- just guide this towards the goal. And because it's coming across you, it's a really tricky um, uh, shot to take. I think the second one was a little bit more direct, Adam. And then the, the third one was, I guess, well, it was, it was him sliding in at the back post against uh, against a keeper which I thought it, like you would expect um, a striker to struggle with that chance he did really well just sliding across it and getting his, his leg on it as well there's one header as well which skewed sideways which maybe could have done a bit better but I think on the whole it's the same as with Pascal Strauch as well obviously there was the one chance where where he he had like an absolute sitter uh, and part of the problem I think was that he had too much time and he had to sort of he had to think about where he was guiding it and just completely got it wrong but um you there's a reason why when we we give the info goal xg after a game it's much higher than the one that um that stats bomb are giving because stats bomb take into account the height of the ball and you're just much less likely to score if the ball is in the air than if the ball is on the floor so that's something to take into account as well but um let's move on let's talk about Shaq. i'll give you uh, the chance to talk about your favorite player um Joe, so uh, Baz18 says, how do you think Shackleton played? Can you put some stats on his performance? Interesting to see so many comments. He was either good or bad, not much in between. So what did you make of Shaq? Well, I probably fit into the to the latter category. I, th- I probably am somewhere in between. Um, I don't think he was really, really good. Um, and I don't think he was bad either. I thought he did well dropping into the DM role when he had to. There was lots of um, rotation going on there. I think some one of the questions referenced it to a washing machine, which I found quite funny, um, just because <laughs> they were all just circling around. But I think Shackleton, he, d- he did really well, and he's done enough to um, put his... To, to he's done enough to be played in the next game um i would say i think he's done enough to keep alioski out of the team for example um at least at least maybe until half time or until 60 minutes um so yeah i don't i don't really have much much more to add i don't have any stats in front of me but um just sort of anecdotally i thought it was a good performance from him and it's nice to see him getting a bit more game time because that was one of the things that i'd mentioned on the previous pod was that i think he could just do with a few consecutive games um so it's really nice to see that that's that's coming through i thought he was really good i i thought i thought he was really good at managing the ball he's really great in situations where it's one and two touch. He's good at finding space. Um, he's obviously quick. I, I think. I think people who who say that he was bad, I'm not quite sure what they were expecting him to do differently because that that's his role in the team is to fa- facilitate build up. He's not the sort of player that you're going to necessarily notice a huge amount during a game because I, I think a lot of work, the sort of work that he's expected to do, goes under the radar. But I thought him and Click. Um, interchanged really well in, in in the build up, and particularly in the second half, when I noticed that there were there were times in our build up when we went under much pressure, where we were dropping into a kind of a two three five sort of formation, which is something I've noticed us doing against teams who are pretty good on the break. Um, and him and him and Click were really good at making at kind of rotating quite seamlessly between who was going to be the one that dropped into that middle space to pick up the ball. So I I thought it was a, a, an excellent performance, and I think he's done more than enough to to retain his place in. In the 11, I agree with you, Joe. Just looking through the stats, you know, Shackleton had the highest uh, pass completion rate. Yeah, um, don't surprise of, me. Of the, of, on the team now. He, he, he didn't make as many passes as a lot of the other um, mid- midfielders. For example, he took 10, he made, well, he took 10 
fewer attempts at passes than Matthias Click, for example, but he also completed only two fewer than than Click. So his his passing percentage was really high. Uh, it doesn't again doesn't have much uh, distance on on his or progressive distance on his passing, um, but again, you know, he's part of the reason why you have him is that his his one touch passing is is good enough that you can evade the press. He's not a player who's ever going to dribble around um, people, but he will help you get the ball forward in those situations because his his he just does really smart passes I think that <clears throat> we talked about the moment in the game just after the first half um sorry the second half started where um we did a really nice bit of build-up play and ended up with Jack Harrison just running the ball out of play in the in the left corner there's a moment there where um the ball goes out to Luke Ayling Luke Ayling comes inside lays the ball to to Shackleton and Shackleton just feeds it back through to to um, Ailing and, and evades the the pressing player and then drops out into the position where Ailing is vacated. And then Ailing can play the ball through to Click. Click can play the ball through to Harrison. And those those sort of small interchanges are so important for for what it is that that Shackleton does. I think Shackleton is a you have to think of him as a facilitator. This is the word I always use when I talk about him. In that he a lot of the stuff that he's doing is allowing other people to do to do what they need to do. Um, making other people's lives easier for them. Um, so I thought he was brilliant at that um, as well. Uh, maybe not as strong defensively as he could be. We always talk about this, but he's he's not playing in a role where he needs to in, in a game like that, I don't think really, even though the, even though he's, you know, dropping in to help out in that in that DM space. He's not a he's not a defensive midfielder. That's not what he's there for. He 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 is, I think, good at pressuring. Um, I I think he does his defensive duty really well. I just think in a, very very occasionally you can just see that physical matchup doesn't quite work out, and that's it. That's that's the only criticism I have of him, and I think that's a really minor criticism. Yeah, you're not going to see many big booming tackles from him, I. <laughs> no, but again, he, like he does like really nice subtle tackles as yeah, well, does, right? It does. Yeah, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of the, the game against Arsenal where. Um, he drops. He he drops into attack, um, with Emil uh, w- w- losing Emil Smith Rowe, who's his marker, and then uh, immediately when Leno gets the ball, Leno tries to find Smith Rowe and the and the wing with space in him, and Shackleton gets back and puts in a slide tackle and actually makes makes a big difference there. So I think I think he's defensively fine. I just think occasionally, like in one on one moments, when when for example, I think the ball goes up in the air in the midfield just sort of loops up he's he's never going to win that he's short and that's and that's and that's fine as long as he's doing enough to to cause problems and to make sure he's not losing his man that's all you need to do um pablo uh darren talked to us about pablo um someone asked a question that i I haven't actually got their name down so i apologize for that but um i'll look for that while you're answering but pablo hernandez looks good this person said when he came on but i felt that he was that was because we were chasing a game where the team were in a low block hence him being deep he did zero defensive work slash pressing because it wasn't needed do you think this is how Bielsa sees the best way to utilize him more yeah absolutely I I, I agree he did, he did look good um and and the reason for that is that he wasn't under a great deal of pressure and that he didn't have to do a, a huge amount of defensive work I thought he I thought he did that thing that 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 he does, I, I don't think people necessarily notice because what they notice is the work that he does in and around the opponent's box. But he did that that thing where he was able to drop deep and he was able to link up the play really nicely. And I, 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 I you know, I thought he, 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 he did as much as you could, you know, reasonably expect um, without being able to create that chance uh, or whatever. And he wasn't really ever in positions where where he was necessarily able to influence the game in that way. But but what, what he was asked to do, I thought he did pretty well. But I do think that's the way that we use him going forward. I, I really can't see a time 
uh, when 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 he starts again, and I think I think he needs to accept that, and I think the fan base also needs to accept that 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 his days as a as a starter and as an automatic starter, or even been the first choice from the bench, uh, are kind of bypassing him. I think it's it's days when I think it's days when when we're up against a low block and we're struggling to break them down, or perhaps again like in the Newcastle game where they're kind of committing men forward, but not in a particularly structured or intelligent way in the space for him to exploit. Then I think we can we can see him be used in those sort of situations but I think by and large his his minutes from now until the end of the season are going to be pretty limited is my view yeah and the question was from Jani Ali Hosty so thank you for the question and apologies for not getting it the first time around um let's just do positives quickly because we always do after games like this our positives officer Dan Holdsworth has been in touch and he's given us a list so he's got defensively we were very good limited walls to low probability chances yeah tick from me set pieces of fire Tick from me. Bamford's finish was fire. Tick from me. We're overdue some almighty luck now. Well, we'll see about that. Um, and we don't have to watch Leeds again. Uh, sorry, Wolves again this season. We do have to watch Leeds. Anyone got anything to add to that? I'll just add that Rafinha put in another fantastic performance. It's brilliant to see um, him putting in these kind of performances week in, week out. So if he can keep up this consistency, then he's going to get lots more goals and assists. And it's really exciting to watch him. So that's what that's my added point. This might be slightly predictable, but I'm I'm going to give shout outs to both Melier and Strauch, who I who I thought well, I thought Strauch was outstanding to be honest, um, but I thought Melier did what he had to do really effectively and with the minimum of fuss, and that's the kind of performance that you needed to see from him given his travails in the Arsenal game. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, let's move on to talk about the Southampton game then. This week I was lucky enough to talk to Alex Stewart of TIFO Football and The Athletic and this is what he had to say about Southampton. So Alex, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing doing well. I think we're both, before we came on air, just t- talking about the schedule, the football schedule and frenetic nature of our lives as content creators in a football space, but I think we're both... <laughs> both kicking on <laughs> yeah i'm sure hearts will be bleeding for us yeah. <laughs> yeah of course but we are not here to talk about how under pressure we are we're here to talk about southampton so let's let's move on to talk about that so we're deep into the season now and we still haven't played each other yet so there's a lot of catching up to do how would you describe Southampton's season so far i mean up and down as literally as metaphorically i suppose you know how often does a team top the league albeit for 24 hours and also suffer a 9-0 loss and I'm only going to mention the 9-0 loss there I'm not going to talk about it again (laughs) um, because it's boring 
but yeah, it's um it's weird. I mean, we've we've played some really good football. Um, I think Hassan Hootel has done his reputation as a coach no harm whatsoever. That can be seen by the fact that he's you know he's being linked with with bigger jobs or has been linked with bigger jobs. Um, and yet there seems to be this kind of soft underbelly, um, which I think is not a systemic problem. I, I think the tactics work really well. It's simply that because of the way that Ralph coaches the side, when we get one or two um, omissions because of injury or suspension, if they are to key players, then that system can fall down quite a lot. Uh, and I think we've seen that. Um, I mean, the, you know, some of the results we've had have, there have been, and again, I'm not going to bore on about it, but there have been contentious VAR decisions that we've been on the wrong end of. Um, I'm thinking particularly of like the Matty Cash handball. Uh, obviously, the game against Manchester United, the sending off as early as it was, was unfortunate. So there have certainly been some results where I feel like not necessarily that we've been hard done by, but but that on a different day, no, those some of those results could have gone the other way. So I, I'm I'm not looking at a run of six defeats in the Premier League and thinking this is cataclysmic. We're you know we're falling off massively. Um, it's just an unfortunate confluence of circumstances. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you talk there because there's obviously a lot of similarities between Southampton and Leeds. Even just talking about the 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 fact that you lose a couple of key players and then suddenly the system uh, becomes a lot more frail but obviously there's the high pressing comparison that's obviously going to be made um but there's also the positive approach that both managers take per playing style um why do you think that it is then that you, we've seen like both Leeds and Southampton get turned over by opposition is it simply the is it simply the golf in talent between the two sides yeah i think i think that that is something that often isn't recognized as being as important as it is you know nine times out of ten the team with the best players wins the game right and and tactics are a way of compensating for that good coaching is a way of compensating for that and obviously improving players over the long term too um but simply put you know leads by and large still have a squad that came up from the championship uh southampton have a good first 11 and a comparatively weak bench. Um, yeah, I know we'll come on to talk about injuries, but the the absence of Carl Walker-Peters at right back, for example, has really robbed us of a lot of the dynamism and drive that we get when when that sort of right-hand side tilts forwards. Um, it's why we were linked with Brandon Williams uh, in the January transfer window. And so when you have, I think, teams that, that work in a particular kind of way, pressing obviously as part of that because... A pressing system relies on players knowing what their roles are and their functions are within each uh, phase of the game and how to respond to certain pressing triggers and so on. And Southampton works best when we can when we can name a and I think this goes for Leeds too when we can name a consistent first eleven who are getting into a groove who know exactly what they're doing who know how to respond to all of those different pressing triggers, Ralph's automatisms um, and. I mean, I think uh, Mark Thompson, who I, is a writer, I know we both write, um, said that that some. I think his joke was something like, "Football is very simple. Leeds give you the hardest game of the season, uh, and you still win." Words to that effect, and I think Southampton can be <laughs> can be put into that bracket. You know, games against Southampton are not easy. Um, we're a niggly team. Uh, we we press hard. The transitions are quick. We've got some very good players, but there is that kind of slightly soft underbelly as well. Um, 
and so yeah it'll it'll certainly be an interesting game when those two teams come together let's talk tactics then where would you say Hazen Huttles Southampton are right now what are the basic ideas behind his team uh, so obviously it's a kind of version of of the four two 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 or narrow four four two however you want to call it. Um, the wide players tuck inside quite significantly. Um, the front pairing works in tandem, dropping off and creating a line of pressure from behind the ball. Um, also splitting wide uh, and uh, you know trying to create um, uh, overloads in the channels. And then the wide players can cut inside um, behind that. Uh, I think one of the differences between, say, Southampton and Leeds is that, yes, we can be very vertical in transition, particularly through the centre in the first phase of play. Uh, and after that, we like to go wide and then try and overload the box. But we are we are quite comfortable recycling possession very deep. Um, and so you'll often see Southampton kind of make a make a surge forwards in a wide area and if there isn't immediately an opportunity to get the ball into the box or into the the red zone zone 14 as they call it uh we'll send it all the way back uh and and we do that so that you know we can kind of restart the attack and i think there's that's where maybe Leeds and Southampton most clearly have a difference um that that we don't kind of keep trying to penetrate and only knock it back a little bit we'll go all the way back to the 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 center backs or the goalkeeper and restart possession uh from there and i think there's a benefit there to not having fans for us um somebody very astutely made this point to me a while back and i can never remember who it was but that part of the way that ralph gets southampton playing is not popular with the fans because you know if you get the ball five yards in from the opposition corner flag and then 10 seconds later it's with your center backs that feels like a failure and it's actually a very sensible thing that Ralph is doing in order to try and maintain possession and and build another attack um fans can get on a team's back for doing that if they're in the stadium obviously if they're not in the stadium then then that aspect of our play doesn't get the the same degree of criticism uh and that that can be quite helpful I think Obviously, Hasen Huttle came from RB Leipzig, and they played that similar tactic, um, a quite gay-compressing approach. Would you say that he's trying to take those ideas to Southampton and reproduce them, or do you think it's slightly different from what he was doing there? There's probably a slightly less frenetic gay-compress. Um, I, I do think the use of the strikers is similar. Um, so creating that that line of pressure behind the ball, which asks a huge amount of um, of Danny Ings and Che Adams when when they're playing, they're the they're the two sort of first choice strikers, obviously, and they both excel at that aspect of the game. Because what you're asking the strikers to do is to come back, win the ball, play it back a little bit, and then burst forwards um, to try and get on the end of something, or, or potentially even then carry the ball themselves. Um, so there is that that aspect. From memory, I think Leipzig were probably less based in recycling possession um, and a little bit more direct uh, in their attacking. Um, but fundamentally, it's quite a recognisable system. Also, this use of wing attacks um, was something that he he did at Ingolstadt quite a lot, um, where actually he was playing a 4-3-3 a lot of the time. Uh, and you would see a lot of uh, sort of 
balls into the channel for wide players to run onto and then trying to create that sort of triangle or square of players running in to attack the box. Um, so I think he's taken facets of of things that have worked for him at other clubs, but he's refined it slightly um, with the, the playing squad that he's got at Southampton. Do you think Hasan Huddle has tweaked much tactically this season? Uh, not really. I think I think the squad are getting better at doing what he wants them to do. Um, I I feel like the loan signing of Carl Walker Peters that then became uh, a, a full signing was important in terms of getting additional dynamism coming from that right back spot, um, and that has added a dimension to the way that we attack down that flank. Um, but I don't I don't see a massive change in the system. More just the players are getting better at it. Um, I mean, one of the things that that I think is really good about Hassan Hootel is that you can you can see genuine improvement in some of the squad. Um, I mean, Romeo is probably playing as well for Southampton as he has done in his his um, tenure with us. Yannick Vestergaard has come on leaps and bounds, having been a player that you know really a lot of Southampton fans would have been quite happy to see go um, last summer. Uh, mm. So I think the the coaching aspect of it is. And, and obviously, that's not just down to Ralph. That's down to to the other coaches at the um, at the club. But he's he's managed to bring players on and and get them to do things that they hadn't been doing previously. You know, Vestergaard's ability to bring the ball forwards to make penetrative passes. Um, obviously, he's good at set pieces as well. But um, that sort of stuff, I think, is incredibly encouraging when you're a fan to see players develop. Um, and and really kind of get to grips mm. with a system that's as complex as as the way Ralph wants to play. Per underlying numbers, Southampton seem to be running a little bit rich this season. Do you think there's a tactical explanation for this, or do you think it's just random variance? I mean, I assume we're talking about exceeding of XG here, um, which I yes, possibly. Um, I would argue though that that Southampton. Southampton has scored quite a few goals. Obviously, I think it's four from direct free kicks. Um, another, I don't know, six or seven from set pieces, many of which are headers. Um, and Danny Ings has an unerring ability to score past two or three blocking players. So there is, yes, there's variance, but I would also say that the way that we score, which is a deliberate kind of style of play, particularly leveraging James Ward-Prowse's abilities, does mean that we're, we're always likely to exceed our XG because we're, we're playing to create certain types of attempts on goal that are by their very nature low XG attempts. Um, but if you do it consistently and you do it effectively, you are going to score goals off that. So I, I don't look at that and think this is worrying in the sense that we're on a hot streak and it's all going to fall off a cliff. Um, I think we've we found a way of playing that suits certain qualities within the squad, particularly Ward-Prowse's set-piece ability. Uh, and by making use of that, you know, we're, we're creating chances of low XG but, but high scoreability for us. What do you think the challenge is going to be for Southampton for the second half of the season? I, I'd say there's probably two answers to that. The first is is squad management. Um, I think, you know, it's been shown that these injury problems do have a real effect, that the squad is quite thin, uh, particularly in defence underneath that that starting um, 11. 
and so managing the squad obviously we you know we had the FA Cup win against Wolves so we're going through in that um and I think cups are important for teams um I do worry about the pressure on on the squad uh, in terms of injuries because of that particularly in this season where muscle injuries in pressing teams are, are particularly significant um and I guess the other issue is probably a psychological one you know if you've got six losses on the bounce including a proper shellacking at the hands of Man United uh having the ability mentally within the squad to to bounce back from that is going to be very important I have a good degree of faith in that respect I mean we've been there before which is sort of a weird thing to take comfort in but you know the the 9-0 against Leicester and then the terrible terrible 2-1 loss against Everton in in the game immediately following that were kind of the turning point for last season so I'm not saying that we'll necessarily get a bounce off the back of this but I think there's you know a lot of that squad is the same um there are some very mentally resilient characters in there people like Romeo Ryan Bertrand Vestergaard Ings you know the, these are guys who have probably had their fair share of adversity um and, and so you know, I I I don't worry too much about that, but obviously it is going to be a challenge. And with all this in mind, then where are you expecting the Saints to finish by the time the season comes to a close? Well, my preseason prediction was twelfth to fourteenth, um, and I I'm you know I'm still I still think that would be a pretty good reflection of things. Um, I'd like us to finish in the top half, but I think I think this season is such an odd one in terms of you know. It, we we were recording a TIFO pod the other day where we were talking about Spurs and um you know Spurs first game of the season where they got beaten by Everton every everyone was talking about Everton as potential title challengers and Spurs as the worst team they'd ever seen and then Spurs went on this incredible run and now it's all fallen off again and it it feels like um the the compression of the season, but also the availability of every game on television has just created the sense of it being incredibly condensed. Um, and and the, the sort of the narrative arcs that feed into that are incredibly choppy. So like there are teams that have exceeded expectations. There are teams like Brighton who are arguably doing quite a lot worse than they should do. Um, it just feels like a season where Basically, you can't predict anything with any certainty and you probably shouldn't listen too much to what everyone else is saying because there's such a desire to, you know, feed into this ever churning set of narratives. So if we finish somewhere between 14th and 12th, I'd be happy. Uh, If we finish somewhere between 12th and 10th, I'd be really happy. Hmm. Let's talk about the game coming up next week. How are you looking injury-wise at the moment? Not, not not fantastic. Um, so Walker Peters is out again. Um, like he came back for one game, I think, and, and got injured. Uh, Obafemi is out as well, the reserve striker. Two midfielders, Diallo and Smallbone, both out. Uh, Walcott also out. <laughs> so um, yeah, I not not fantastic. Um, and you know, this is the. the in that United game, which I said I wouldn't mention again and have already mentioned twice again, um, <laughs> we had two players, you know, two teenagers making their debuts, another two teenagers who'd never played for the first team at all on the bench. Like, we are, we're pretty thin. Um, 
so you know those sorts mm. of injuries i think will affect us if it's any comfort leads are exactly the same way so we have almost invariably two or three 23s players on the bench you've never had a senior appearance so uh, let's talk about the the formation and setup on on tuesday how do you think you'll line up on tuesday i would be confident that we would play the sort of narrow 442 again um mm. depending on who's fit i my ideal scenario would be Adams and Ings up front together, um, Armstrong on the right, Minamino on the left, uh, Romeo, Ward-Prowse um, as the uh, midfield pairing. And then at centre-back, you've got Vestergaard and Bednarak, left-back will be Bertrand, right-back, not entirely sure, to be honest, um, maybe Valerie. Um, we have used Jack Stevens at right back as well, and also at left back to cover in those positions. He's not very quick. He's not very dynamic, but it does allow us to go to slightly more of a back three sometimes in build up, which isn't the worst thing. Uh, and then McCarthy and goal. One question I ask all of our guests is which players on your team need to perform well if you're to beat Leeds? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as, as you well know, I have much affection for Leeds. Um, I really like the way they play. I think I think this is an interesting fixture because I think both teams can cause the other problems. Um, I guess what I'm looking at in terms of what Southampton will want to do is probably try and exploit the man-for-man system that you guys use um, and have particularly those wide runners, Minamino and Armstrong, um, making breaks inside when space is created by the front two dropping off uh, and dragging their markers with them. I know from, and in fact, you wrote a brilliant article about this, the the, the plus one, minus one system um, that's employed. So I think, you know, there's going to be, leads are going to be leaving three towards the back because of that. And I can therefore see us being able to try and exploit that. Um, I also think, obviously, when you've got James Wood-Prowse in your starting eleven, you know free kicks, direct and indirect, take on a, a, a importance that that most teams can't muster. So any kind of chances that we get in that area um, could potentially yield, yield opportunities for us. So you're going to need to be very good at not fouling, and that might be an argument for not playing Strike as a defensive midfielder. Um, cause he's, he's a little bit rash in the challenge and I can see him, I can see him giving things away, uh, in that area that we could potentially profit from. Um, and then obviously the defense has got to be good. Um, you know, I think again, the, 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 the tendency with leads or playing against leads potentially is to push the fullbacks up higher because leads like to leave guys, you know, out wide, ready to exploit that spl- space and that, that works in, in a for and against kind of way, because you think, well, if we don't, if we don't get the ball to them, then they're, or sorry, if, if leads don't get the ball to them, then they're effectively out of the game. So we might push our fullbacks higher than they should be and try and compress the space uh, and look to exploit that tendency. Um, but I think that that could work against us as well. If we, particularly if we have Stevens in one of those fullback positions, cause he's just not quick enough uh, to be able to do that. So I, I would expect us to play a little more cagey than we sometimes do as well with that in mind. And uh, on the other side, which of the Leeds players are you most worried about? I mean, the thing I really like about Leeds is that is that actually you kind of don't worry about individual players because 
the the system itself is so good and the way the players work within that system. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously Rafinha has been good since he come in. He's he's a direct strong runner. Um, I I what I like about him is that although he's got tricks and and you know ball carrying and he he's he's playing like a creative attacking player. He also has this kind of sharpness to him. Like he's a big guy. He's got a broad chest. He looks powerful and aggressive uh, in his running in a way that you don't necessarily associate with with his type of player. Um, I also, I think that the battle down your right-hand side and our left-hand side will be fascinating because Luke Ayling is a player I, I have a huge amount of time for. Um and you know his ability to get forwards, whether it's to make those inverted runs or, or on the overlap, could be very dangerous as well. Um, and then you've got Bamford. So you know, it's I, I, what I suspect is that Bednarak will stay quite close to Bamford, and that will allow Vestergaard to carry the ball out and and play it around a bit, and we'll try and go a little bit man for man on Bamford. But I'm not sure. In terms of the game itself, I don't ever ask for predictions, but I'm interested in how you think the ebb and flow of the game will go and, and, and the, the general tenor of the game. How are you expecting it to go on Tuesday? I think it'll be absolutely frantic to start with. I think there's a possibility that Hasenhutl will actually slightly temper our normal pressing game to try and take a bit of the sting out of it um, because obviously we're coming off the back of a set of really bad results. Um, and so... If we immediately go toe-to-toe with Leeds, I think we might come off quite badly. Um, and that's a reason why, for example, it wouldn't surprise me if Stevens comes in at right back just to add a bit more solidity. We can progress the ball slightly more slowly from the back. Um, I, I think the the great thing about these two teams, though, is that it's really hard to predict. Um, we know how Leeds are going to play. We kind of know how Southampton are going to play, but how they play against each other and what sort of dynamic through the match that creates, I think is it's really hard to say. Um, it it could be one of the best games of the season. It could end up with just lots of possession being lost, lots of back and forth and nothing actually really happening. Well, Alex, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What is the best way for our audience to catch what you're doing in the football world? Catch what I'm doing at Tifo Football on the YouTube channel, um, where we do tactical videos as well as lots of other stuff. Uh, Tifo are on Twitter uh, at Tifo Football underscore. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter at AFH Stewart with an EW. Um, I occasionally tweet about football, probably not as much <laughs> as I should do. For the personal brand, but yeah, follow follow Tifo and, and there'll be there'll be some good stuff. We we've got a couple of kind of pure tactics videos coming up in the next few weeks as well, which I think it'll be interesting to get to get back to those. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully people enjoy them. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Ah, oh, thanks very much for having me. Always a pleasure. So that was Alex Stewart of Tifo Football and the Athletic talking about Southampton. Joe Hill, what was uh, thrown up in your mind when you were thinking about this? I was thinking a lot about the wingers, about Leeds' wingers, um, because Alex was mentioning that Southampton play quite a narrow 4-4-2, um, quite a compressed midfield. Um, so obviously that led me to think um, that our wingers might get a lot of space and a lot of time on the ball, um, which I'm really excited to see. Um, but I also thought about the unthinkable question, um, which is whether Rafinha will 
actually indeed play on the left-hand side this game um, just purely to expose um, Southampton's right-back troubles um, because Kyle Waterpeaker's Kyle Waterpeaker's uh, <laughs> Easy for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful. I'm just going to go with KWP. KWP, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a consultancy firm out there, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think they... So Alex mentioned Stevens might play at right back, but I think against Chelsea, did they play Bednarak on the at right back? I think they've been playing a centre back there. Um, so I know that Rafinha on the left um, really didn't work in the in the last game that he did that. Um, was it against Brighton? I can't, I can't really remember, but um, yeah, that that didn't look so good in in that game. But it just led me to think that he can really expose whoever plays at, at right back and potentially. Even if he starts on the right, I think we're going to see them swapping. Um, I think we'll see Rafinha and Harrison swapping throughout the game just because of that. Yeah, this game, I've said before, just reminds me a lot of the Brighton game, um, even though they play a different formation. Um, the fact of the matter is this is proper gegenpressing football where you, you try and bunch your your forward players all around all around the same well I guess around the central midfield of the opposition uh, and stop them from building up and, and then you try and just um, close close them down as quickly as possible um, turn the ball over and then attack from there so what you'll see against Brighton we saw a back five with a ring of five players in front of them um, what we'll see here is a back four with a ring of six players in front of them it's um, you see it quite a lot in Germany it's called a 4-2-2-2 um, so you, basically rather than it being a 4-4 Two, you basically bring your wide players in quite narrow um, and and you sort of hunt the ball down. So hit the ball forward to your forwards, um, try and win the first ball. If you don't, try and win the second ball off the opposition and, and then build a, an attack from there. So I think we'll see that kind of thing happening. Um, it will mean that we do have to move out into wide areas. Um, but again, you know, we saw this against Brighton. The way that Brighton do it is that they, they're happy to let you go down the wide spaces and then they just sort of funnel you and then they'll try and press you from there. So you'll see, you'll see their, their sort of uh, hexagon rather than the pentagon we saw against um, Brighton sort of moving side to side the best thing you can do is use the width try and switch from one side to the other and try and force um, f- I guess isolations against fullbacks like you said so if we can get build up this is another reason why I think it's good if we can get Rafinha on the left because if you can build up on the right with your stronger players and then switch the play into Rafinha you can maybe um, fashion some 1v1s uh, against the the right back as, as it is as well. So uh, I definitely think there's 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 lots to look forward to in, on, on that side of things. Darren, have you got any thoughts on this? There are many different variants of kryptonite in the, in the comic book world and they all <laughs> impact Superman in slightly different ways. So I had a question which was how many forms of Bielsa's kryptonite do Southampton have? And I, I came up with four. So they've got a ball-carrying centre-back who, who will drive out into the midfield and we know that that can cause us problems. Uh, we'll have to play in a three-three-one-three because of their four-two-two-two lineup. Um, their press can be problematic, and particularly with the similarities to the Brighton press that you've already identified, and set pieces with James Ward-Prowse's excellent delivery. So I think I think you know we're, we're going to need to manage some of the things that we don't traditionally manage well, really well, to kind of win this game. And I agree with you in terms of the way that we that we that we move the ball around them that we use the wings i think we're going to have to i think we're going to have to move the ball laterally more than we're kind of nominally used to because we normally try and play quite vertically and i think that their press will 
preclude us from doing that and I, I think that we'll need to be quite smart about about trying to move them from side to side and try and exploit exploit spaces that happen within that and that's not normally something that, that you see us doing all that often so yeah I'm, I'm really interested to see how how we kind of manage to to solve these problems because I'm sure I'm sure that Bielsa is well aware of those problems but it, but with limited preparation time from Friday to Tuesday um it's a little it's, it's just, it, this is a game that that really does worry me I think on a lot of levels I watched Southampton versus Chelsea yesterday and um you know they to 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 be able to come away from a, a game against Chelsea with a draw is obviously impressive um obviously this is a Chelsea team that are in transition and they've got a new manager and he's trying new things out but um I, I think people kind of people will watch Southampton and look at the way they play and think you know they don't really have any sort of standout players in the in the way that you kind of look you can talk about Danny Ings um Danny Ings I think is he's just a player who's just really really efficient uh, he's very good at what he does and then you're talking about players like you mentioned James Ward-Prowse um and you know Nathan Redmond and players like that none of them you actually think of as being that great but they're very much um, I think a, a leads correlate in the sense that you know the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so it's going to be a it's going to be an interesting game. I, I I feel similarly to you. Like there's there's things that I am a little bit hesitant about, given that, for example, that we we were caused so many problems by Brighton playing in a similar style. Um, I'm interested to see how. Uh, it's it's one of those ones where if we can build up fine in the wide areas and and we can get the ball into those transitional phases through those transitional phases into the wide areas quickly, then we should be okay. But I'm never convinced that we can do that in games like this. So um, I, I'm very much sort of in your boat that you know it could be good or it could be bad, which I, I guess is you know the story of our season. But um, let's talk a little bit about how we respond then. So against a four four two, we would usually play a three three one three. How do we think it's going to be any different playing against a four two two two? In that sense, do we do we think that we'll just stick with the three three one three and then try and make the most of the wide areas, um, or do you think that we'll try and change that things up in, in any way, Darren? I suspect that we'll go with the three three one three. I think that's that's the kind of near or that's that's the nearest kind of clear formation that I can identify that 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 might be useful because I think you can, you can get quite clear match up. Uh, in terms of man-to-man um, orientation with, with the three-three-one-three um, against against their system, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I was trying to think about this this morning and think whether there was any kind of variety that we'd be likely to see, but I I, I kind of landed on that. I think it will be the three-three-one-three because obviously our our you know widest two centre backs will pick up their front two, our wing backs will pick up the the next two, and then the the eight and the more advanced eight will pick up pick up the um, pick up their their eights if you or their mid, deeper midfield players if you like. So I think I think structurally it matches up quite well. So I think that's what we're most likely to see. Do you think there's a chance that we could see no defensive midfielder again? Yeah, I that that's kind of how I that's kind of how I when I when I tried to think about the the eleven this morning I I, I kind of landed on that really that that I think we'll see um we'll see um click playing the the middle of the the midfield three uh, I would imagine um. Rather than moving Strauch up, and I think that's to do with a couple of things. I think that I think that we don't necessarily have the personnel available to us right now to to be able to justify moving Strauch into midfield with 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 the and and um, with the defenders that we've got available to us right now. Um, and I think that I think that we might we might just kind of make a pragmatic choice to kind of bypass the the DM and build up anyway. 
and and I think Click is quite good at kind of shuttling around the place and making himself available where wherever possible. So I think that that if if I wanted anyone within our team playing in that in that in the middle of that um, hexagon, I think it would be more likely to be Click than it would um, Strauch. I mean, the way that I look at it is that if you're not playing against a quote unquote ten in that sort of system then why not do the same thing with a two-man midfield against their two-man midfield? Um, and and I guess you just see one of your... You, you basically see the 10 from our team dropping in as an eight and the and the four or six or whatever you call it pushing forward as an eight Onto as well. Eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I, I think could potentially work. Um, and then, yeah, and then you, you're sort of... Uh, in terms of the build-up, I think you, you, you don't... You just then have to do what we did against Brighton with, with Strout, which is the... the defensive midfielder or the pivot in that system is just simply allowing you to giving you an option to to um play the ball to but isn't going to be as involved in the build-up as as you might see if there wasn't that ring of players around the, the defensive midfield positions or the two eights in this situation so it'll be a case of moving around trying to pull their players out of position there but the, very much of facilitating this movement in the wide areas uh, but it will be that it will be a case of, of of seeing the same sort of things happening which is as we've said funneling into wide spaces and then them pressing us um quite aggressively in those play in those spaces so yeah um lots lots to lots to think about in that in that situation um in terms of the back three joe we'll go to you and assuming that we do play no defensive midfielder do you think we will see a back three of cooper strauch and ailing or would you would, would there be any other opportune op- options for for that back three I think for me it has to be Cooper, Strauch and Ailing. Um, the other option potentially is bringing Lorente in. Um, he was on the bench in the last game, so you could see a back three of Cooper, Strauch and Lorente, and then Ailing going to right wing back, Dallas going to left wing back. Um, but for me it has to be Cooper, Strauch and Ailing, just because I think um, that's going to seem a bit more solid um, at this stage. And another thing I wanted to just throw in the mix, um, like we're saying, having the two-man midfield um, was a possibility of just playing a 3-4-3 and sort of reversing the change um, that Bielsa made before um, the the previous game. And that's putting Alioski back in for Roberts. Um, So you'll have Alioski and Shackleton as the wing-backs and then Dallas and Click as the two eights, if you like. which would be quite interesting because, again, I'm not sure if we've ever done a, a 3-4-3. Um, I, I could be completely wrong, but it just feels like that's that's something new. So um, it's going to be quite interesting either way. But, in ter- yeah, in terms of the back three, I, I think I'd keep it Cooper, Strauch and Ailing because I don't want to see Lorente right now, to be honest. I think he'd just end <laughs> up getting subbed off after five minutes. <laughs> yeah, the 3-3-1-3 is basically, as I see it, like a 3-4-3, but with a with an inverted midfield. So rather than the midfield being side by side, one's in front of the other. Uh, And I think in a a situation like this, where I think their two eights are going to be sitting a little bit deeper because they've got the two wide players in a little bit narrower. um, It means you could probably afford to just rotate those two mid, those two mid center midfielders and and have them side by side. It's going to be interesting. You've mentioned wing backs. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what we do with the wing backs because um, if their wide players are quite narrow, then the wing backs will be expected to mark those wide players. And so, that they're going to be moving quite laterally quite a lot I think um which which will be fascinating to see how that plays out um on the right I think that will mean that we'll see Luke Ayling almost playing like a 
right back from central defence. So Shackleton will come narrow and, and Ailing will push forward in that sense. And it'll be interesting to see if we do what we have done before when we've played against teams like this in that we would have like the left back sorry, the left wing back playing almost as a as a winger, like hugging the touchline, allowing space um in order for and, and allowing an out ball as well for the for the midfielders to find. And then the the right wing back coming in quite narrowly, almost in a double pivot. Um just again because it does allow you to I mean Shackleton can 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 help in the build up in the middle. He can then um allow space for Ailing to push forward and then he can drop in behind Ailing if Ailing goes on, on one of his runs as well. So I think those are two things to look out for. Darren, do you want to add anything on the wing backs? I was gonna say I would be surprised if it was Alioski that played given given some of the struggles that he has with the press. I'd I'd be more inclined to go with Dallas at left wing back and and Shackleton at, at right wing back, um, rather than bring in bringing Alioski in because I think that could be a bit of a massacre. So you'll be playing Click and Roberts then as central midfielders? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit then about just uh, who we're worried about um, from the Southampton team. We've touched on this a little bit. Um, I guess it's going to be a case of what whenever I ask people who you're worried about on the Leeds team, they say, well, not anyone in particular, but just the whole the way that the whole team play. Um, Is there any individuals in particular that that are, are on your mind, Darren? Yeah, Ward Paris's set piece delivery. I think I think we need to be really smart and make sure that we don't give away stupid free kicks around the box. And um, you know, I, I saw Alien taking a bit of clog on on Twitter the other day for not kind of taking Triori down at the point at which Triori scored. Um, and I think it was the right decision not to. Um, so, and I think I think we'll need to be making sure that we make good decisions in terms of when we engage with pe- when we engage with players and when we kind of. Um, shepherd them into less dangerous areas because I think his his delivery could could really kill us but other than that I think it's it's more the kind of collective idea of the press rather than individuals that kind of give me pause for thought I completely agree with Darren I think yeah it's more the collective team um the only other player that I'd throw in the mix is Shea Adams I think it's just written in the stars that he that he's going to score against Leeds given what happened in (laughs) January um the narrative's just there. It just seems obvious that he's getting a hat trick. So, um, yeah, I, I oh, Joe. <laughs> no, sorry, I've I've jinxed it now. I don't actually think he'll get a hat trick, um, but I think he he might score. I think there's a chance that he might score because that's just the way things play out with Leeds, where narratives like that always seem to happen. Um, but other than that, yeah, I I agree. Keep the silly fouls to a minimum, which I think we've been quite good at recently, um, and hopefully we should be okay. And what about uh, on the Leeds side? Who needs to play well for Leeds, Joe? I'd love to see Rafinha have another great game. He's been really exciting to watch. I think the back three need to play well um, to deal with the front two. Um, And as we mentioned a few minutes ago, I think the wing backs, given that they might be getting dragged out of position quite severely, um, they're going to have to do really well. And actually, I feel quite confident having Dallas and Shackleton um, if they were to be the wing backs, because I think they're good um, at playing that role and tracking the runners into unusual positions especially Dallas who's obviously Mr Versatile um so yeah I'll I'll stick with those players I think whoever plays in the kind of more you know the kind of notional more advanced midfield role needs needs to kind of make sure that they they that their movement gets them into the game and that they make themselves available to to the wide players I think they might have to do quite a bit of lateral movement across the course of the game to try and make sure that we don't get boxed in like we have done in the past but so yeah so principally for me it would be the wing backs need to make sure that they they retain the ball and and don't kind of get get us caught in transition and that the that the 10 needs to support that to make sure that we're able to kind of get get the ball into advanced areas and finally how's the game going to pan out Darren 
battle of the presses. I think Southampton are there to be pressed. I think I think against I think they demonstrated quite quite a few times early on against Chelsea that that they can be boxed in, they can be pressed, and that we can cause them problems from from that way. Um, equally, we I think our concerns about their press have been pretty well documented throughout this. But I think I think it's going to be. It's going to be pretty tight, I think. I, I think there'll be, yeah, I think it'll be quite tight and tense, you know, and, and that, that I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game particularly. Um, but I've just got a little feeling that, that if, we're, if we're able to play Shackleton uh, and, and Dallas, that we might be able to, to, to have decent enough build-up in the wide units to, to get past them. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but a bit nervous. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting what Alex said on the opposition view that he thinks Hassan Hootel might um, sort of take the edge off it and avoid going toe-to-toe um, because given that they lost, what, six games in a row before the, the their draw against Chelsea, um, they might just be a bit reluctant to go toe-to-toe. Um, I think before I heard that, I probably would have said it's going to be an open game and goal fest. But um, yeah, that just made me sort of second guess whether whether Hassan Hootel will fully go for it. And I think if he doesn't, I think it has, like like Darren was saying, it has every chance of being a really tight game um, and maybe one goal between us. But if if Hassan Hootel does decide to go at all all out, you know, really high pressing, I think it's going to be a crazy game and it could be a goal fest. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's kind of a diff- difficult one to call this. Basketball game, mate. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. The All Stats on We Southampton preview. Uh, if you still want to hear more of our voices, then you're in luck. You can head over to our Patreon channel uh, and get more bonus material that is available only to patrons. Um, I will be putting out a review, a video review, um, an analysis of the Wolves game at some point in the next 48 hours. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, we've also, we did a Q&A live stream last week. That's up there uh, for you to watch. And there will be um, other podcasts coming up. I've got um, an interview with Lee Scott coming up, who is just written a book on Bielsa's tactics as well. So uh, there's plenty of stuff going up over there. If that sounds interesting to you, then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? Three people who have done that recently are Alan Barker, Steve Penner, and Drew Hutchins. So thank you guys for joining us. And we'll be back on Wednesday with the Southampton review and a Villa preview. Um, so do tune in then. Um, so here we are at the end of the podcast. All there is for me to do is to say thank you to Darren. Thank you. And thank you to Joe. Cheers. And enjoy the Southampton game. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 